Support for My Fellow Kansans was provided by the United Methodist Health Ministry Fund, working to improve the health and wholeness of Kansans since 1986 through funding innovative ideas and sparking conversations in the health community. Learn more at healthfund.org. Rural America is losing its hospitals. More than 100 hospitals in rural communities have closed since 2010. Two of those were in the southeast Kansas communities of Independence and Fort Scott. I don't understand how they can just so blatantly close the hospital. I mean, where is the humanity? You know, what are people like us supposed to do? But I drive by that facility every day, and I just get mad driving by it, thinking, my God, what a waste. Because that was such a great, great thing. 170 employees, all good-paying jobs. 1946, I was born there, and uh, both of my kids were born there. And it's a sad situation. Few things mark the decline of a rural community like the closing of a hospital. It's stark evidence that a place has become something less than it once was and probably will be even less in the years ahead. And it's sort of a chicken and egg thing. Our rural communities are challenged, and because of that, our small hospitals are challenged as well. But what if people living in the state's remote, emptying areas embraced a different kind of hospital, scaled down, adjusted to a new reality, and sized to what rural towns can actually afford? I'm Jim McLean, and this is My Fellow Kansans, a podcast from the Kansas News Service. Many things are crucial to the survival of rural communities. Quality schools, decent housing, high-speed internet, and good roads. But in this episode, we'll focus on what many who live in those communities put at the top of that list. Healthcare. We'll diagnose the problems, financial and otherwise, threatening rural hospitals. We'll explore whether changes in the way healthcare is delivered can save those life and death services. Not every rural Kansas hospital is in dire straits. I found some bright spots during my travels across the state. Expanding safety net clinics are providing more primary care, particularly in southeast Kansas. And visionary hospital CEOs and individuals willing to open their checkbooks are helping some communities buck the trends. But for the most part, they are exceptions to the rule. The numbers, says Brock Slaybaugh of the National Rural Health Association, tell a bleak story. 46% of all rural hospitals nationwide have a negative operating margin. In Kansas, Slaybaugh said in a presentation to state lawmakers earlier this year, the situation is even more alarming. 81 to 100 percent of our state's hospitals are operating at a negative margin. Put more bluntly, they're losing money. Shrinking populations mean fewer patients. And those who remain are typically older, sicker, and poorer, making them more expensive to treat. State and federal policies are also to blame, specifically cuts in federal Medicare payments and the state's decision to forego Medicaid expansion. Research offers a mixed picture on whether losing your hospital poses a threat to your actual health. Some studies say when people are forced to travel longer distances, They often fail to get preventive care, the sort of early treatment that can stop health problems from becoming life-threatening. Lack of ready access to emergency and obstetric services can also put people at risk. Still, research has yet to show that, broadly speaking, a community's health declines when the local hospital shuts down. Economic impact? Well, that's a different story. Hospitals mean jobs. They keep healthcare dollars in the community. 
So when towns lose their only hospital, they get poorer. Per capita income declines and unemployment rates rise, and they become much less attractive to employers. Until recently, dueling hospitals in the neighboring but rival communities of Anthony and Harper in south-central Kansas were among those on the endangered list. The communities were facing the real possibility of two hospitals becoming zero if the late Neil Patterson hadn't intervened. Neil was proud of where he came from. No matter how far he traveled, he loves coming home to the family farm on the Kansas-Oklahoma border. A native of Harper County, Patterson went on to co-found the Cerner Corporation, a Kansas City-based medical records giant. A crisis wasn't happening yet, but he could see the writing on the wall. That's Patterson's daughter, Lindsay Patterson-Smith. She joined people from both towns on a scorching July day to dedicate a new hospital, one that couldn't have been built without her father, who before he died of cancer in 2017, promised to cover much of the hospital's $41 million cost, but only if the communities agreed to set aside their differences and share the Patterson Health Center. Generally, he did not like to have his name on buildings, but I think he would have approved of this one. On behalf of the Patterson family and the Patterson Family Foundation, we are honored and excited to be along for the ride. Thank you. Both of the old competing hospitals in Anthony and Harper were 25-bed facilities, downsized in the 1990s to survive an earlier tide of rural hospital closures. To help these smaller facilities, known as critical access hospitals, survive, Congress told Medicare to pay them slightly more than other types of hospitals. The same politicians who promised those higher payments knew the formula could also be an incentive for more hospitals than rural economies could support. So they put in rules that said critical access hospitals needed to be at least 35 miles from the next closest hospital. But those rules allowed for exceptions and several Kansas communities took advantage of that loophole, including, you guessed it, Anthony and Harper. Located only 10 miles apart, each ended up with its very own critical access hospital. And both did okay for a while. But by 2014, after years of financial problems, both hospitals were in serious trouble. Even so, people in the communities continued to resist the idea of a merger. So the Kansas News Service sent health reporter Brian Thompson down to investigate. The rivalry between Anthony and Harper dates back a long way. Harper Hospital's chief financial officer, Sandra Owen, has lived in the county for 20 years. Really, what it boiled down to is back in the 1800s, Anthony stole the courthouse from Harper. There was an election in 1879 to decide whether Anthony or Harper, then the county's largest town, would be the county seat. Anthony won the courthouse, but the rivalry lingers, and it's complicating efforts to solve a big problem facing both towns, the potential loss of their hospitals. Martha Hadsall, who chairs the Anthony Medical Center Board, says they can't continue to rely on local tax revenues to fill the gap. That could mean a partnership between the two facilities, or perhaps even one new hospital to serve the entire county. But Hadsall says a consensus on what to do is still miles away. We know we have got to build community buy-in. We have to develop a clear, combined vision. And we don't have that yet. An analysis by a private consulting group says the best option is to build a new combined hospital that won't be an easy sell. At Connie's Beauty Shop in Harper, Bonnie June Day is sitting under a hairdryer. Leave Harper alone. Our hospital is doing fine without being consolidated with them. 
We've got good doctors here. We pay taxes on our hospital here. We just got through redoing our hospital, and it's great the way it is. Day says she thinks taxpayers in Harper are willing to pay more if that's what it takes to keep their hospital open. Meanwhile, at Irwin Potter Pharmacy in Anthony, eight women who call themselves the ladies of the round table are sitting next to the soda fountain. They're having a lively discussion. They hope the two hospitals can work together to avoid duplication of services. But they want both hospitals to remain open. And they want federal policymakers to help small towns keep their hospitals. Even though that all these little hospitals are spread all over here and there, the federal government needs to realize that we're in a rural area. We're not in Kansas City or someplace like that. Let one of them come out here and have a heart attack and see how well he likes it. The ladies want an emergency room in town, not five or ten miles away. Keeping both hospitals open but consolidating administration is among the options. A merger would require the patrons of one of the hospital districts to voluntarily dissolve their district. Given the history these two communities share, that's asking a lot, no matter what's at stake. But Martha Hadsell, the head of the Anthony Hospital Board, stuck with it. And she was perhaps the ideal person to press the case, because she had built up trust in both communities living in Anthony, but teaching for decades in Harper. Step one was getting the boards together, because I I would describe one of our first joint board meetings as a junior high dance. We each sat on opposite sides of the room and stared at each other. Arms folded. Yes. So, well, we began assigning seats. Assigning seats meant you had to sit by someone different. Um, We tried some cooperative learning activities where maybe they would never speak up in that public meeting, but if I asked them to talk to their shoulder partner about a certain thing, Mm -hmm. write down their key thoughts, and then share it, they would. So the two boards actually did were reflections of their communities. And you have to realize there, there had been a couple of other merger attempts that had failed. Okay. Within the past 10 years, 20 years. And so, yes, as we started this, it was clear, well, this is one more attempt that's going to fail. So there was a trust issue. Well, yes. Eventually, the boards agreed to dissolve the Harper Hospital District, merge with Anthony, and take Neil Patterson up on his offer to stake them to a new state-of-the-art hospital. But they couldn't move forward until they had convinced citizens that a merger would result in something better than they were losing. So, to underscore the benefits of cooperation, they held a meeting at the town's shared high school and made their case. And we show the data, show the charts, show the graphs. Here's what what income versus expenses looks like. Here's what your property tax numbers look like to fill that gap. You come in with the information and you take people through the steps and the decision-making, and by the time you're finished, most of them are shaking their head yes to what the boards had chosen to do. It was progress, but they needed voters to make it official. And because the Harper Hospital District was the one being dissolved, only its patrons could sign the petition. So, Hatzel says, groups of hand-picked volunteers hit the streets of Harper and started knocking on doors. Well, there were some times that you went to the door and you spent a half hour on the porch and you left without a signature. Sometimes you went to the door and they said, well, it's about time, and they grabbed the petition and signed it. And there were some times that you went to the door, you spent that half hour, and they changed their mind and signed the petition. Mm -hmm. So you needed to gather 51% of the registered voters in Harper on a petition to approve the merger. That's correct. 
and you did that. We did that. We got about 60% when we finally said, I think that's good enough. Things moved pretty quickly after that. They bought land next to the high school and began work on what planners hoped would be a new kind of rural hospital, one that could serve as a model for other communities. The final product is pretty much everything they could have hoped for, a gorgeous building, modern equipment, public spaces that serve as virtual art galleries, and a cafeteria that rivals any restaurant in the area. But all of that prompts the question, is the hospital something that other communities could realistically hope to replicate? Well, for starters, not without a big chunk of startup money from a millionaire, not without some trust established when the high school consolidated, and maybe not without somebody like Hadsel, who used skills honed wrangling third graders to get rival towns to team up. Still, Lindsay Patterson-Smith, Neil's daughter and the head of the Patterson Family Foundation, believes the new hospital can be a proving ground for ideas to improve rural health care. We've learned a lot already through the process that we've been in, you know, from the two districts down to one and the building a new hospital. And what does that look like? How do you um, how do you keep the integrity of the home communities while bringing them into the future? Um, You know, that's a fine balance. So you really do imagine that you're creating a rural health laboratory here. Absolutely. Yeah. Living lab. Yeah, we um, we want to take some lessons from it and then um, go figure out what is going to work in another community, go try it in another community. And, and, you know, if it's if it's as simple as inspiration, that's something. If it's um, a white paper of this is the best practices of how you bring two communities together, that's something. And then, yeah, at the end of the day, if you can write the book and say this is how we're going to do rural health care, that's a win. Anthony resident Shirley Rischel hopes it's a win. At first, she wasn't in favor of the merger. I was skeptical. Mm-hmm. I really was. Why? You know, you always have doubts when something new comes up. But like others, Rischel says seeing the numbers that documented the hospital's struggles and revealed how much taxpayers were spending to subsidize them brought her around. Um, I'm hoping it will work. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping. Because neither one could survive on their own. Few Kansas communities have a Neil Patterson to come to their rescue, says Tom Bell, the head of the Kansas Hospital Association. But he says there are lessons to be learned from the process used to bring the rival communities together. Folks that, that might not have talked to each other in the past are realizing that they really de- do need to look more at collaboration. For many towns, Bell says, collaborating may be harder than it was for Anthony and Harper. They got a new hospital for their efforts. But others, he says, may have to confront the reality that they no longer have the people or the tax base to support a traditional hospital, a facility staffed around the clock where people can come and stay when they're really sick or need surgery. Something in between that kind of hospital and a clinic would be more realistic. Something, Bell says, that provides emergency and outpatient care that can quickly get patients who need more to bigger hospitals. In the past, the, um, the, the whole focus of the discussion may have been how, how do we maintain that physical building that is the hospital? Mm-hmm. And I think now, at least what we see our members saying is, how do we provide the best access to healthcare in our community that we possibly can? And uh, we, we want to maintain our hospital in our community. That's incredibly important to our community. 
all you have to do is is go to a small town that whose hospital is challenged and that's exactly what they'll tell you but what that hospital looks like in the future may not be exactly what it looks like today and as i said earlier there's a number of places around the state that i think would would embrace that kind of a discussion now where 10 or so years ago uh, they might not have so you're talking about creating more options right, uh, for right. Rural health provider. I, I don't think there's a cookie cutter approach to this, and what might work in one community is probably different than what might work or be needed in another community. The purpose of all this is to figure out how can we maintain the best access to health care in our community as we possibly can. And I think it's important to, to allow that community to have the flexibility to make that decision. But it's not that simple because the federal government has something to say about what you can and can't do, right? Well, well, they do because so many of the people that live in our rural areas are of Medicare age. A lot of our small hospitals have a 50% or more Medicare population that comes to, to use that hospital. So when you are looking at creating a different model, it has to be something that Medicare is going to recognize. Well, you can't interrupt that revenue stream or you wouldn't have a hospital. That's exactly right. Okay. I think we need kind of a two-pronged strategy to try to get Congress to at least direct the regulatory agencies to do something, but, but to also try to work with the regulatory agencies and say, look, we've, we've got some people interested in this. Let's, uh, let's do some demonstration projects. Innovative leadership can also make a difference. Kearney County Hospital CEO Benjamin Anderson recruited doctors to Lakin by promising them time off for mission work. And the Gove County Medical Center in Quinter is using a University of Kansas School of Medicine program as a recruiting tool. This is 1A. I'm Joshua Johnson visiting KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. Polling shows that four Gove out of Gove County's five success in recruiting in doctors caught the attention of Dante Cheney, director of the American the Communities United Project, who touted it on the NPR program 1A. There's a medical facility there where they have worked very well with the University of Kansas to bring medical students out there. And they come out as couples. And that is a small community of about 1,200 people that now has five primary care physicians in it. It's absolutely fascinating. And then young couples, because they're, they're already married, uh, they get two for one. They get two doctors with the price of one. And they get, a, they get a family to move out there. And uh, it's really working well for them. But again, those examples are exceptions. And the testing of new rural health care models will take time. Time that many of the state's struggling hospitals may not have. But there is something that policymakers could do to deliver more immediate relief to all the state's health care providers, rural and urban alike. And that is expand Medicaid to cover more low-income Kansans. If we had expansion in Kansas, it would play a very important role in stabilizing the finances of those rural hospitals. April um, Holman heads the Alliance for a Healthy Kansas. It's a coalition funded by several health foundations that's lobbying state lawmakers to approve expansion. Um, we know from research that has been done looking at states that have expanded Medicaid and states that haven't, like 
like Kansas, that if you're in a state that has expanded Medicaid, you're six times less likely to see rural hospitals close. Thirty-seven states and the District of Columbia have expanded their Medicaid programs. Despite years of debate and the prospect of getting about a billion dollars per year in additional federal funding, Kansas is one of 14 states that haven't. It almost happened in 2017, but lawmakers couldn't override former Republican Governor Sam Brownback's veto. In the most recent session, the Kansas House passed Democratic Governor Laura Kelly's expansion plan, but Republicans in the Senate refused to vote on it, despite mounting pressure from protesters who flooded in to the statehouse. Kansas Senate President Susan Wagle, a Wichita Republican now running for the U.S. Senate, led the opposition. The governor just called for the Senate to pass a bill that Bernie Sanders, a socialist, endorsed. And that's not going to happen in the Kansas Senate. The federal government is required to cover no less than 90 percent of the costs of expansion. Even so, Wagle says expanding coverage to more than 100,000 additional low-income Kansans would be too costly. If more people enroll in the system than anticipated, as has happened in other states, Kansans will once again face a budget crisis, which will lead to a tax increase to, to cover the rapidly rising costs of Medicaid. To quell a revolt by House members, Senate leaders promised to take up the issue when lawmakers return to Topeka this coming January. But there will likely be several competing plans. Meaning, says expansion advocate April Holman, the debate is far from over. All expansion legislation is not the same. Um, there are a lot of policies out there that could actually provide huge barriers to participation. We want to make sure that we are actually getting health insurance to more low-wage working people in our state so that we can address some of these health care crises that exist. Our look at the challenges facing rural Kansas continues in the next episode with a visit to Greensburg. We'll check in to see how the small western Kansas community is faring a dozen years after it was all but wiped off the map by a massive tornado. I, I really would like to be more optimistic than, than what I am. Uh, I've told several people I feel like we're kind of walking on crackers. Greensburg's efforts to bounce back as the state's greenest community, next time on My Fellow Kansans. That's it for episode four of My Fellow Kansans. My Fellow Kansans comes from the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of public radio stations KMUW in Wichita, Kansas Public Radio in Lawrence, High Plains Public Radio in Garden City, and KCUR in Kansas City. Jim McLean reported, wrote, and hosted the podcast. He also crisscrossed thousands of miles around the state to record dozens of conversations with his fellow Kansans. Scott Cannon and Suzanne Hogan edited the podcast script. Scott also edited digital stories Jim wrote that appear at ksnewsservice.org. There are some great photographs of Kansas and Kansans there, shot primarily by Chris Neal. Ben Stanton worked as field producer, researching, interviewing, and organizing the recordings you just heard. I'm Beth Golay. I worked with Luann Stevens, Jay Schaefer, and Ben in audio production. 
Primary Color Music composed our theme song, and other music you heard during the season came from Free Music Archive. Jordan Kirtley designed our logo. Event planning and social media promotion came together only with the help of Grace Lotz, Michael Russo, and Sarah Jane Crespo. Look for episode five of My Fellow Kansans in one week. And remember, if you want to support work like this, please contribute to the public radio station in Kansas you listen to most. <laughs>